swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. So, Kyle. We have officially reached the summertime and we have flipped our Mouse Madness uh, calendar into our summer schedule. And it felt like this spring we spent a lot of time in the parks, which is super fun for us because that's like our happy place. Yep. Uh, and, and it's like kind of our wheelhouse. And so I'm happy because this week we're getting into some more classic Disney movie stuff. Yeah, I'm both happy and exhausted because this bracket took a ton of work and a lot of watching of films and some that were eh, not so great uh and and what is this topic you ask did you click on this episode and not even read the title we are talking the best disney hybrid movie now these are films that feature both animation and live action but we've excluded all of the recent uh remakes so you're not going to see the remake of Lion King on here. You're not going to see the remake of Beauty and the Beast on here. Um, and we also didn't include uh, movies that use animation as like CGI elements. So any sort of like um, special effects that is computer generated that technically kind of is animated. We're not including those. We're talking about straight up like human live action films mixed with the animation medium uh, on purpose and and with purpose. And to help us get us through this bracket of 16, we have longtime listener. We have first time caller. We have Chels. Chels, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Thanks for joining us. Now, uh, we, we've seen you online. You've you followed the show since what feels like basically the beginning. And we also noticed that uh, you're interested in animation. You you have you studied animation? Like, what's your relationship to that that medium of entertainment? Well, what's funny, similar to you guys, I mean, I work in sport, so that's kind of been my um, my career trajectory for the past, um, I'll say now five years. And then, so I graduated in uh, last year in April uh, in communications and sport marketing. And then I thought, you know what? I, I mean, I've always wanted to work for Disney. My plan is to work for Disney, specifically Pixar Studios. Um, Pixar is, as you guys would know from my tweets, because I'm constantly <laughs> tweeting at you, telling you, no, you're wrong. You picked the wrong Pixar movie. Um, that. I want to, um, anyways, I want to be in animation um, in some way. So I've never been much of a drawer um, or an artist in that sense. I'm more of a digital artist doing graphics. Uh, so I'm now kind of trying to combine those skills and how can I become an animator without, with learning the techniques of, of uh, drawing, but not um, becoming the inner or the instant um, expert. So I am now doing my master's and I'll be completing that in August um, wow. in digital media. Um, so in Toronto at Ryerson University. So I decided to focus my entire thesis on how can I blend sport and Disney together? I mean, 
Sport and Disney are already very much in a relationship with each other as Disney owns a lot of <laughs> sport properties, yeah. be it networks or just teams or anything like that. But um, I want to kind of see how can I how can I bring the the entertainment film and entertainment storytelling of Disney into sport. So my thesis focuses on um, gender bias in sport and how uh, women are treated within the sports industry and looking at my experience as a woman pursuing sport, but through an animated short film. So Whoa. I have, yeah, so I have written a short film um, that sets us in the scene of a world of mascots. Oh, so, nice. yeah, so it is um, something I, tr I tried to look at. Okay, well, how could I do this Pixar-esque and Disney-esque, but in a totally new world? You know, Disney's covered monsters, Disney's covered underwater, Disney's covered real life. So I'm yeah. thinking, well, they haven't looked at mascots yet. So that's kind of where my connection to animation um, is. So then part of my studies are looking at animation. And I've done a lot of research on uh, Disney and Pixar and like how um, taken, taken a lot of courses on um, on storytelling and script writing. And uh, I even took the Pixar in a box one that's offered for free. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. literally anything Disney puts puts up there. I'm like, yep, I'm doing it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's kind of my connection to it. And then so at the end of August, I'll have my my final project because I'm nowhere near the type of skill level to be able to do an animated short film in just four months um, as a sole human being. But <laughs> uh, so my project is going to be a recorded storyboard with final artwork. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my connection to it. And, and I've been a absolute Disney fanatic, although now we have an official term we're Disney adults. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll be fine with Disney adults. So yes. Yeah. Right on. Uh, when you said that you were writing your thesis on the mixing of sport and disney i was like i'm so honored that you're writing your thesis on this podcast it's amazing they were <laughs> thank you so much this is exactly that well honor. honestly when i found this podcast i was like oh my god these guys they did they blended disney <laughs> and sport oh my god i found my people <laughs> we did it we found the corner of the internet <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's great that's great cool well uh, again it's it's great to have you um before we start talking about uh, these hybrid animated movies, we got to talk about some spoonfuls of sugar. Kyle, what do you got? Yeah, it's morning time here on the West <laughs> Coast. So I uh, once again brewed up some coffee. But this time, instead of just finding a, a dark liquor in my cabinet like I've done the past couple of times and said, eh, we'll see how it tastes, I went to the store and got some Baileys. So I'm having myself an Irish coffee this morning. And... I don't know if anybody's like had Irish coffees at all or if you love them, if you hate them. One thing that's for certain is they they get you going. They take you to another place. <laughs> it's always unsuspected because it, it's so sweet and so delicious and doesn't taste too much like alcohol that it's it hits you fast. So I'm calling this the Cosmic Creepers, the cat from Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, because I'm about to be out in space by the end of this episode. Chris. What have you got? So I uh, I have scraped the bottom of my Craft Beer Kings uh, beer care package box. 
<laughs> just like like I keep saying, finishing drinking all of the alcohol in my house before I move. This one is an Owl Farms cranberry kettle sour. And like the reason I haven't drank this one yet is because I feel like I already knew what it was going to taste like. <laughs> just like a cranberry, like tastes like cranberries. And I don't like cranberry flavored things. Uh, when, whenever we would go to Wildcat in Santa Barbara, <laughs> one of the like go-to drinks that they would serve you if you have a table is like cranberry vodka. And I was like, this is the worst. Just take out the cranberry and I'll take the cocktail. It's fine. <laughs> because uh, I just find cranberry kind of like not not a great taste. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's fine. Beer tastes like sour cranberries. If that's your thing, that's great. It's not my thing, uh, but it's still better than most beers that I try. <laughs> so that is my review of Owl Farms Cranberry Kettle Sour. Chels, what do you got? So I have only been TikTok famous twice. And oh, this drink, <laughs> yeah, well, this drink was what set me over the bar the second time. And okay. Uh, so it's something that I kind of just decided to throw together. So it is Malibu, it is lemonade, it is frozen fruit, and it is a spoonful of Kool-Aid uh, powder, blue Kool-Aid powder. Oh, so <laughs> it's sweet. But I, I mean, I'm the kind of person that like when I order my coffee, they're like, would you like some coffee with that sugar? So <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it and I'm drinking it in my Wally mug. Oh. Um, so I tried to make uh. one in a see-through glass, but the Kool-Aid was a little, it's, it's been some time since I've had this. <laughs> so it didn't go as blue as I was hoping. It was like a really murky, almost green. So I'm like, I don't yeah. know, I'm not going to yeah. do that considering I set the bar so high on my TikTok page. So if you want to, I'll, I'll send you the link to that if you want to see how, what uh, it looks please. like. But that's um, so great. Yeah. So it's like and I, I like to call it because with the, the frozen fruit, it adds little like fish features. So I'm like, it's finding Nemo. Ah, finding there you Dory, go. Whatever there you want to do. There you go. That's great. Uh, I, I would also like to point out that I'm I'm drinking my beer out of my Mary Poppins mug. Super festive. Oh, it has a little little umbrella handle bird on it. Um, it's got Mary very ornate, very subtle. You know, like this is one of those like I like to drink tea out of this because it's like slightly oh, yeah. fancy and it doesn't really look like a Disney mug at first glance. Uh, probably my favorite mug I own. It's pretty, pretty solid. OK, so um, with that out of the way, Kyle, <laughs> we've done it. <laughs> we've engineered yet another stupid mouse madness segment. Why don't you walk us through what we've done? So a few weeks ago couple weeks ago i get a text from chris and he it's a photo of a of an ebay listing for upper decks disneyland 50th anniversary collectible card set and some of the examples that he had sent me were like attraction cards or anime animatronic cards and it's just the most absurd thing to celebrate the 50th with are these like baseball trading cards um, and so he was like, we have to get it. And I was like, we absolutely have to get it. <laughs> and uh, and so he bought it and sent it to my house. And what we're going to do in this segment is we are going to open up uh, this package and card by card until we get to 
Tom Morrow is the goal. Yeah. And for yeah. those of you that don't know Tom Morrow, he's the guy that was in Innoventions that would like do a little speech when you enter the attraction. Uh, he's super goofy looking and pretty awful. Yeah. It, the trading card is incredibly goofy. We'll, we'll post um, a photo of the, the end goal of this segment uh, and what we're trying to achieve. So this is the inaugural opening. So this box is in a gold Disneyland 50th anniversary box. You have that classic black and white photo of Walt walking through the castle. You got a big Mickey on it and you have a little smaller uh, castle. So I'll hold it up so that people watch this. And if I post it, they can see it. Um, It says collect all 50 retro cool attraction posters. There's one in every pack and 10 die cut haunted mansion cards a disneyland favorite there's one for every six cards apparently um so this when you open up the box God, there's so many cards when you open up the box there's these little trading card packets so i don't know maybe we actually do it pack by pack chris because there are at least 50 of these packs Okay, so we are going to open up pack by pack. These packs have five cards per pack, and there's about what seems to be 30 to 40, maybe even close to 50 of these packs. So I'll open it up, and let's see if we can land Tom Morrow in our first pack and then never have to open up a single one ever again. <laughs> oh, man. Someone bought this and left it sealed for the last 15 years. Yeah. Let's just let's just appreciate that. And and we're just ruining all of that right now. Card number 1. We got Submarine Voyage 1959. Oh, what a what a great first pull. Oh what my a gosh. Great, it pre Nemo's Hot Box Adventure. It is the <laughs> the gray Fantastic. submarines that were in the lagoon. Um they have little facts on the back of them, but if I read all of that that would be take too long. Number 2. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Oh, wait. It's the close-up of Statue Toad. <laughs> Statue Toad. <laughs> He's ready the, to go. The most iconic part of this ride besides going to hell. Uh, here we go. Number three. The Safari Shooting Gallery. Now, we had brought this up um, on maybe it was the worst attractions uh, bracket because the Disneyland had like every shooting gallery they could possibly oh, yeah, put in yeah, yeah, yeah. to the parks yeah. in the early days. So this was the Safari one um, that debuted in 1962. There you go. Number three. Oh, it's a big one, Chris. Number three. <laughs> haunted Mansion, the Haunted Beginnings yes. card. Oh, it's a die cut. We got a die cut. Haunted we got Mansion. a die cut. We got a die cut. It is. Uh, so is it under construction in that photo? or uh, it, No, it just looks black and white. It says the Haunted Beginnings. Oh, yes. So this is specifically just talking about the exterior. So I'm assuming okay. that we're going to get multiple cards about the Haunted Mansion through these packs. Oh, okay. okay. And we have an attraction poster. Let's go. Here we go. Pinocchio's Daring Journey. <laughs> you know, for a first pack, we can we can go with Pinocchio's Daring Journey for yeah, could have been, been worse. It's a, it's a worse. classic looking attraction poster card. I like it. It's not too bad. Um, no Tom Morrow this time. No Tom no Morrow Tom. this time. Uh, we'll try again in part two and for every episode after until we find Tom Morrow. Um, <laughs> I'm unsure of what I'm going to do with all of these trading cards, but now I have them. So <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed that journey down. Uh, maybe we'll post some photos of the packs that we pull. Um, and if you want one, I'll literally send you one because I don't want these. 
<laughs> wow. That, I'll uh, take them all. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Perfect. To Canada they go. There you go. And speaking of Canada, I just had to say, so I have two ears here. This is one of my first pair of ears that I got when I was, um, I was in the third grade when I went to Disney World in Florida for the first time. And it's old Canadian. <laughs> so there you go. That's fantastic. So oh, those are yeah, good. I'm a Mountie, I'm a hockey player, and I'm in my my plaid glory. So we're good. That's so good. That yeah. is so good. I'm actually Wait. surprised I even had this, to be honest. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that a, a parks official merch or is that? Yeah, like, an like I got it. I got it in the parks. Um, I can't remember which one. I feel it must have been Epcot, to be honest. Like, it had to. Of been, all right? of all parks, it had to have been Epcot. But then when I oh, and then I got the beaver on there as well. So. <laughs> We are, we are like, I was quite shocked and it was one of those buys where I was like, oh my God, I'm a Canadian. I can't not buy this. Like, no, of course not. It's perfect. And then at some point, maybe I will, well, maybe I'll just put them on now. But these are my newest pair oh, of ears. Classic. Oh, yeah. Pixar and ball. I got my Pixar balls. So we're good. Perfect. Perfect. That's perfect. so awesome. That Mickey <laughs> hat is like the type of thing I'd find on eBay and be like, well, uh, this is like sort of a train wreck, but also sort of funny. <laughs> and I want it. Want it so uh. bad. All right. Well, we've gotten through the cards. We've gotten through the drinks. It is time to announce who picked this bracket of 16. We are announcing the demographic. Chris, who did we survey this time? So uh, we put the interns back to work uh, we, uh, after two, four weeks off uh, <laughs> with, with the boys in the parks. The interns were back doing, doing some demographic duty. So I think this is a demographic we've actually used before, oh, maybe totally. when we were talking parades, but uh, they have returned. They've returned to the park now that COVID restrictions are being eased. They're back. The fireworks spot savers. Uh, the fourth, the Fourth of July fireworks were like the the first one back in California. Everyone was super eager to to see those fireworks, and people was lining up yeah, all like the way down two Main o'clock, Street, three yeah. o'clock, all the way down Main Street, and like it's mind blowing to me because these are no longer annual pass holders who are like, oh, let's just like cruise by the parks. We technically have already paid for our day at Disneyland, so we'll just catch the fireworks. No, no. nothing else to do. It was like. I'm going to pay 200 bucks, <laughs> mm-hmm. go to Disneyland and stand in this spot and watch these fireworks. Yeah. And worst of all, they got Mickey's Mixed Magic to watch instead <laughs> of any of the good ones. <laughs> God, that is like the cheap knockoff Disneyland fireworks show. It is. So these fireworks spot savers had been parked since two o'clock, which made it easy for our interns to ask them what their favorite hybrid movies were. Once we got that list, we pared it down. We took out the remakes. We took out the CGI films. And we were left with 16, but there were still eh, a few that missed the dance. Uh, and Chris, wh- the one for me is Alice in Wonderland Through the Looking Glass. Not quite a remake. Um, it is a sequel to the Alice in Wonderland 2010 film, this one coming out in 2016. And as not good as these movies are, <laughs> they're fascinating to like watch and look at because it's a timber in world. Everything is a little wonky. Everything is beautifully colored and designed. So they're pretty to look at. And I'm actually surprised that no one brought them up, but then also not surprised because 2016 is where we start to get um, into the remakes. Jungle Book was summer 2016 and Pete's Dragon was soon after. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. So 
Um, I'm surprised, but um, also not surprised because there are many, many, many other hybrid films that could make it, and they did. So, Chris, what's one for you? So, I don't know if this is a hybrid movie, um, and if it is, I'm really disappointed that it's not on this bracket, and that is <laughs> the original Tron starring Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those movies that I got a hold of when I was like 16, 17, uh, like quirky, weird, not super hype at the time. Um, and I just like really made it my own. Yeah. Uh, I bought it. I bought it on UMD so I could watch it on my PSP <laughs> and I watched it all the time. Uh, super fun movie. Uh, it gets kind of boring in places, uh, but the effects, honestly, some of them look really bad, but some of them hold up actually pretty good as well. Yeah. Um, I still haven't seen Tron Legacy, the sequel, because I have such a soft spot for the original Tron in my heart. Uh, Chels, you got any Miss the Dance? Honestly, I mean, mine were would would have been probably the the remakes that we are including yeah. um just because they're they're just so fantastic but honestly i thought in term because of how nuanced this category is i thought the ones that were chosen i'm like yeah no like they belong there um but yeah i mean i of course i'd love to have seen lion king although i am am curious is because with christopher robin i mean mm-hmm. that one is that one seems like it squeaked through a little bit considering the rules yes it did squeak through. <laughs> I think it's because it's not quite a remake. It's like a a, a world building film. So we right. we allowed it. We allowed it. Um, the end of the bracket gets a little messy uh, just to, <laughs> to begin with. And and let's get into that messiness, Chris. It is time right. to announce our bracket of sixteen of the best Disney hybrid movie. Let's cue the dramatic music. Chris, take us away. Cream of the crop, tip of the top, is the number one seed, Mary Poppins. At the number two seed is the rabbit that Disney really wanted to make happen. It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Start spreading the news, the number three seed is Enchanted. It's not easy to get through this film. Bumbling its way into the number four seed is Pete's Dragon. Oh, we might have some disagreement on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say. Yep. <laughs> Just call it Airbnb because flying into the number five seed is bed knobs and broomsticks. God, that's funny. <laughs> Vacationing at the number six spot is Saludos Amigos. Someone can't keep his hands out the cookie jar. Creeping its way into the number seven spot is the Three Caballeros. Fighting Giants at the number eight seed is fun and fancy free. Big Burl brand at the number nine spot is so dear to my heart. At the 10 spot, it's the OG studio tour. It's the Reluctant Dragon. Talk about a trip around the world. Coming in at number 11 is Melody Time. Marching its way into the 12 seed is Babes in Toyland. In it to Linnet. Tripping a little light fantastic into the 13th spot is Mary Poppins Returns. Orchestrating its next move at the 14th seed is Fantasia. Keeping it 100 acre in the 15th spot is Christopher Robin. He's big. He's friendly. He's our giant number 16 seed. Rounding out this bracket of the best Disney hybrid movie is 
the BFG. Chels, here are the 16 films. When you got that bracket, what were your first thoughts um, without maybe revealing your hand at who's your favorite in this? Well, I gotta say there were actually quite a few films that either I haven't seen or hadn't seen in a very long time. Yep. Um, so it was pretty fun to to kind of go back and 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 rewatch. Um, there were definitely movies on this on this list that I was going in thinking, especially during the open credits, because a lot of these were nice throwback to the you know twenty minute intro credit <laughs> um, yes. vibe within the sh- <laughs> within movies. Um, so, but, so there were some where I'd be going into it going, oh my goodness, this is going to be an interesting hour and a half. And then I ended up <laughs> loving the movie. Huh. I was so shocked going, oh my God, that was such a great movie. So, <laughs> um, and then others, there were like, yeah, no, this was to be expected, not <laughs> what I was hoping for. So, um, I think it's going to be an interesting argument, especially when you made that comment about Pete's dragon, that one's going to be... I've been, I've been, I've been a Pete hater. I've been a Pete hater. (laughs) Get Elliot out of my face. All right, Chris, (laughs) you're leading us off. Let's, let's get into it. All right. So the first matchup is number one, Mary Poppins versus number 16, the BFG. Now, Mary Poppins needs no introduction. No, it's a goat. Everyone knows that movie. Uh, It's going to be interesting as we make our way through the bracket, though. We're talking about best Disney hybrid movies. So it's like, what constitutes a movie being more hybrid than the other? Sure. And I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis because every single one utilizes the hybrid in such different ways. Yep. And I'm excited to break down all of that stuff individually, uh, but I I don't think we need to do it for Mary Poppins yet and like give <laughs> it the like full shakedown because it's definitely not going to get beat by the BFG right. uh, of, of all movies. So... Movie Pass. Do we remember uh, the glorious invention that was Movie Pass? No, oh, yes. Uh, for those of you that don't remember what Movie Pass is, it was this subscription that you buy, and then you can go to as many movies as you want every month. I think they had a cap that was three per week or something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got Movie Pass in 2016 when it was like thirty bucks a month, and I used it for two years, and it was amazing. And then they were like, "Oh." We're going to make it $5 mm-hmm. or $10 or something crazy. And then everyone signed up for it. And then the website crashed and then, <laughs> and then it died. Like there the, the product just died just like that. Um, killed by hype. So during my glorious movie pass days, the BFG was a movie I saw with oh, that movie. Pass. My gosh. <laughs> and like I had just moved to Kansas City. I didn't know a soul. I was living way out in the suburbs, um, which I love living in the suburbs. But when you are, are a single person who knows nobody, it can be kind of like a pointless place to be. So movie pass was the way I spent a lot of my time. I was like, what's playing in the movie theater? Don't care what it is. I will see it. I saw just about every single film released in the <laughs> summer of 2016 because I just, I, like I said, I didn't have a whole lot to do. Um, and the Royals were very generous with my hours, uh, in that they didn't give me a lot of them. So, um, the BFG, I was, I mean, I wasn't as deep into like Disney stuff as I am now, but I obviously still like a huge Disney fan. The BFG was a book by Roald Dahl that I yep. don't think I read in elementary school. I know a lot of people did. I know my brother did. I don't think I did. Okay. 
So I was like, okay, I know what the BFG is kind of about. It's Disney. I'll just go. And about 15 minutes after leaving the theater, I completely forgot about the movie apparently because I have not thought about it again (laughs) until I saw it pop up on this bracket. I'm like, yeah, I forgot that existed and I have seen it. So yeah, um, I, I revisited it briefly just to like jog my memory um, because I remember not liking it particularly much. Um, and I saw it was going up against Mary Poppins. So I'm like, I really of all movies to upset Mary Poppins. I don't think it's going to be this one. So some interesting things I did notice about it. Uh, number one, it's a Disney times Amblin. Film, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is a, the rare Disney Steven Spielberg collab. And right. Spielberg and Amblin are like subsidiaries of Universal. So to see them like team up on this film is quite interesting and I think might explain why it's not available on Disney Plus in the US. Apparently mm-hmm. it is available in Canada, as yep. Chels let us know. <laughs> uh, interesting. <laughs> if you're in Canada, enjoy the BFG on Disney Plus. <laughs> so some fun numbers. The BFG had a budget of $140 million, which I think is the highest of any movie on this bracket. Uh, and its domestic box, it was $55 million. Oh, man. Uh, again, $140 million budget, $55 million domestic gross. Um, which I was like, you know, that makes sense. This movie was not very good. I don't think a lot of people were like, God, we got to have this BFG movie. Like, I'm dying for it. But interestingly... The movie had a $195 million worldwide gross. So at the end of the day, it ended up making $50 million. Okay. Um, And that is just like a perfect example of how weird the entertainment business is and how as Americans, we can see like a movie come out or get teased and be like, this looks like absolute garbage. Who would ever see this? I didn't want this. And then like, but it just hits big in India or something and right. everyone loves it there. So quite fascinating. This movie, the visual style is just not for me. It's very like drab, very ugly. It feels very Roald Dahl. I will give yes. it that. Roald Dahl has this unique style, uh, the way that he writes and just like the fictional worlds that he has created. Um, I, I'm a little bit kind of like triggered and still miffed to this day about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, (laughs) the Johnny Depp version that honestly was much more authentic to the Roald Dahl book. Yes. Um, But that, I mean, the Gene Wilder is just far superior. Um, So like in watching the BFG, I was like, oh, this feels a lot more like that kind of like Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Like they really did a good job capturing the Roald Dahl style here, but I think it's just not for me. Uh, This movie is uh, about baby snatching, which I don't (laughs) like. Um, So like thematically, I'm not I'm not like super enthused on this BFG guy. So like let's talk about like the hybrid animation a little bit. So there's this little girl who gets taken from the orphanage. And throughout the movie, she's like riding in the palm of the BFG's hand. Mm-hmm. And honestly, for a movie with a $140 million budget that was made in 2016, it's not super clean. No. As she's like no. moving about and he's like holding her. No. There are so many movies on this bracket that are much older that pull off the hybrid effect much better. Yes. 
Um, and so that kind of is like the nail in the coffin for the BFG, where not only is it a super boring, not great movie, but the hybrid element isn't even blowing my mind. So I, I have absolutely nothing really good to say. <laughs> and therefore, it will not advance past Juggernaut Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that Mary Poppins as a one seed is going to go down in the first round. I, it, it would be hard. I'd be hard pressed to find a movie that could go up against Mary Poppins in a, in a first round that is considered hybrid in which Mary Poppins would lose. Um, when you're talking about, you know, what is the best Disney hybrid? What does that mean? How are we going to categorize it moving forward? Um, I think it has to be well executed in the hybrid animation style and then also just needs to be like a generally good movie or used in a way in which it adds to the the film or to the yes. story. Um, yes, and yes. so that's kind of how I've been categorizing it in my head. I don't think I'll get super deep in on that uh, in this first round and leave it until we can get into the, the elite eight and start nitpicking some things. But uh, when it's up against when the BFG is up against Mary Poppins and they have the 2016 technology and can't really pull it off. And yet we have Dick Van Dyke dancing with some penguins and it looks like he's actually in this cartoon world dancing with the penguins. Like, come on, son, you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna pass through that. So Mary Poppins is for sure going to move on. Chelsea, do you have anything to say about the BFG or are you fine with what we've done here? You know, I completely disagree with you both. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was like, this is going to be a long faces. show. <laughs> no, I, uh, the moment I started watching it, I was like, it just doesn't give you this Disney vibe. Like, yeah. I was watching it and I'm like, this isn't Disney. This doesn't look Disney. doesn't seem Disney. The type of animation isn't Disney. It was very, like, um, I'm not even sure who is who's a producer of Polar Express, but that's the type of animation like that I was seeing. And it's very dark and dingy. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I just, especially when it's pinned up against Mary Poppins, which is like the essence of Disney, like everything Disney is about and is, is portrayed through Mary Poppins. Um, it's like, it just doesn't pass. And I, the, the storyline is just so creepy. Like, yes. I just I couldn't kind of get get past that. So I'm curious as to like where this really took off in terms of the box office BFG, because I mean, I don't know who what what area Burley prefers that, that creepy kind of storyline. <laughs> um, but especially for like a children's movie. But yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely Mary Poppins goes goes forward. And just one note about Mary Poppins, what I really loved is that I just kept thinking about saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. Uh, that movie it's one of my absolute favorite movies thank you and yes. very good um and literally no one alive today could play walt disney better than tom hanks so he is tom hanks is walt disney of our time at this moment in terms <laughs> of like the essence of of who he is yeah sure uh, at least for me but um but yeah so like it's it's hard to compare especially when mary poppins was one of the it's 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 just, it is. It is the, the juggernaut. I mean, yeah. there's really no other way to put it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so just to clarify uh, facts, Polar Express is a Warner Brothers picture ah, starring okay. Tom Hanks. Directed, oh, yes, you're right. Directed, produced, written by Robert Zemeckis, who uh, will appear later on this bracket. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right, Mary Poppins moves on. Let's talk about our next matchup. It is the number eight fun and fancy free versus number nine so dear to my heart. It's funny because uh, it feels like so dear to my heart has come up 
quite a bit on this podcast, Chris, and it's usually in re- reference to Burl Ives. And I Big was Burl. so excited to finally have to watch this movie uh, because I wanted to see what Burl was all about. I've never really like seen Burl act at all. I don't think, you know, I just hear his songs, uh, hear his music. So it was, it was fun to hop in to finally see this guy on screen. Fun fact about So Dear My Heart, uh, this movie's from 1948, and it was the first full-length film to be shown on the Disney Channel when it went live April 18th, 1983. What nice. a random movie to be like, all right, we got this cable channel. What's the first film we're going to do? Snow White? Nah, nah, the kids don't want to see Snow White. <laughs> you know what they want to see? A movie about a boy trying to get his lamb to the fair. Let's do so dear to my heart. Um, so the the hybrid. So that's basically the the plot of this of this film. The the this kid takes in this black sheep. Uh, his grandma doesn't want the sheep to be there. Uh, the kid's like, I'm a. I'll take care of it. I'll train it. Grandma's like reluctantly. Nah. Okay, you can. Um, and he learns that he can win a prize if he shows his sheep at the fair but the grandma doesn't want to go to the fair and it's just this whole thing of this kid uh attempting to keep this sheep not only alive but in good health to bring to the fair at the end of the movie um and that kid jeremiah is played by bobby driscoll who we're gonna see a ton in this bracket uh he's the voice of peter pan and he was a live action disney studio actor for many many films in the 40s and 50s and his uh his sister, I guess, maybe friend, I don't I don't actually remember, is played by Luana Patton, and we're going to see her a ton as well. And both of those kids were in Song of the South, and that's basically what drove their their careers is they were the two little kids in Song of the South. Um so yeah, so uh the this like train comes to town and the show horse uh, is shown to the folks at the town and everybody's stoked to see this show horse and it's a small country town, so entertainment is hard to come by. Um, and that's what gives Jeremiah his, you know, inspiration to want to show the sheep at the fair because he could win a lot of money. And I think I tried to bring this up last bracket, the best 1955 um, attractions bracket. Is yep, that we, Cosmic It's Cosmic Creepers in the back. Cosmic Creeps in the back. <laughs> um, but I was unsuccessful, I, I think, at explaining it. But... Disney animator Ward Kimball, who's basically on almost every single one of these films uh, in Go. some sort of Go. animation yeah. capacity, he really inspired Walt to get into trains, right? And he he had his own little model train set in his backyard. Walt's like, I got to have me one of those. The Train Depot set for this film is in Ward Kimball's backyard after they were done filming. Like, he was like, can I have this train depot? And they're like, <laughs> wow. I, I guess so. And then a few years later, Walt asked for it back because he wanted it in Disneyland. This was going to be the Frontierland station. And Ward's like, no. So they built a replica based on Ward's, which is oh, the wow. one from So Dear to My Heart. Wow. Um, so I thought that was awesome. And just, uh, you know how I love my Disney history. The hybrid nature of this film this film opens up very storybook-like, where we get this, the scenes are set by a book opening and it's uh, the flipping of the pages, everything's animated. Um, and then there's a scene at the end in which the little kid's trying to decide how to get 
to the fair after grandma said no. And Professor Al hops out of the book and is like, you know, if your grandma said no, you should just do it anyways. Here are some (laughs) examples of people who found some troubles and did it anyways. Let's start with Christopher Columbus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so this Al tells this story in song like fashion of all of these like colonialists and, and conquerors. Um, from from Christopher Columbus to Robert Bruce, who is a Scottish explorer, um, and it's it's it doesn't hold up well. At that time, yes, like we that time, America and the world were celebrating this kind of explorer nature of people who found this quote unquote new world, right? So it fit for what this movie was, but it does not hold up. Um, and so that's that's that first instance of real kind of hybridness is when we get the semi interaction between the live action world and the animated world. Um, yeah. So it's up against Fun and Fancy Free, which is the first of our package films we'll talk about on this bracket. Package films were basically just a bunch of shorts thrown together because Walt's animation company was broke in the 40s, uh, especially during the war. Um, you have movies like. Fantasia and Bambi that did not do as well as they thought it was going to do. So they had to really make up some money by doing films on the cheap. And that's just putting a bunch of shorts together and and packaging them and sending them out. This one is, uh, for some reason, Jiminy is just out in the world. Pinocchio, who's he? Jiminy is just exploring the world once again. Um, And he stumbles upon this house that Cleo lives in. Which is like, what happened to Geppetto? Did Cleo get sent off out of Geppetto's house? Why is why is Cleo not with Geppetto? And he is going to not really narrate, but he's going to sort of serve as the through line for all of these shorts. Um, because we're following Jiminy through him experiencing these stories. The first one's about this uh, circus bear named Bongo, which is interesting because it was very anti-circus, basically. Like, this bear wants to live in the yeah. wild. Yeah. He wants to get back to his roots. And when he does, he doesn't quite understand it. Uh, and then finally learns what it is like to be a bear in the wild. Um, he does it through learning how to fall in love with a lady bear, which is to, like, slap them. <laughs> and they slap <laughs> each other. Which is, like, I don't know if we want to show that to, like, kids. I get that they're bears. No. I get the bears, but um, and they do an entire song to almost like justify like this is how bears are. (laughs) Bears, when they show that you love them, they they slap each other. Um, But no, it's not. It's not great. And then Jiminy hops across uh, the house or hops across the road because he sees an invitation in the house uh, for a birthday party. And nosy Jiminy is like, I need to go see what this party is all about. Hops across the road and it's our friend Luann Patton again, who is kicking it with a ventriloquist performer who apparently was big time in the 40s. This package film came out in 1947 and this ventriloquist is having this party with his two like dummies and Luann and they're just like chilling. And so he's like telling them stories and the dummies are like adding these quips and comedic beats throughout the storytelling. And the story that he tells is that of Mickey and the Beanstalk. 
Um, and that was supposed to be a full-length movie. Uh, they just ran out of money, so they made it a little bit shorter, packaged it up with, with fun and fancy free here. <laughs> and put Bongo in this. We'll make it. We'll make it over an put, hour. Put the circus bear in here, huh? Let's. Uh, and and this was also one that the dinosaur was in it, and she was in the bongo one, and she sang all of the bongo songs and yeah. was yep. the um the narrator, and she was kind of like she was supposed to be the star power to like push this film. Yeah. Like fun and fancy free. Featuring Dinah Shore, you know? Um, and yeah, so you get Mickey and the Beanstalk. If you haven't seen it, just fast forward through Fun and Fancy Free and watch it. It's a classic, classic Mickey cartoon. It was also the first time in over five years that Mickey had appeared on the big screen. Uh, he hadn't been since one of his shorts in the late 40s. So this was five years later. He finally returned. And then a couple months later, he was in another short, theatrical short. So the interaction between animation and hybrid is that uh, Luana Patton and the ventriloquists are real people. Jiminy hops into their world. Jiminy's kind of scurrying around trying to avoid feet and, and stuff as they're running around. As he tells the story, he tells uh, everyone to imagine the setting of making the beanstalk. You get the thought bubbles that are animated over the head. Um, and then at the very end, the giant comes through and lifts up the roof of the house that they're all sitting in to see if uh, he can find Mickey and he storms off through what is supposed to be like downtown LA or <laughs> um, so I think, we get yeah, some, I think it was like Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. So we get some uh, interaction between hybrid or between the live action and the, uh, the world. So when we're talking about these two, one year apart in release fun and fancy free 47. So did my heart 48. These two kind of feel almost the same, very minimal animated with live action interaction. Like it's a lot of like we're going to do a scene of animation and then we'll cut back into the live action world. And then every once in a while, there'll be bits of interaction like Jiminy and Fun and Fancy Free, like the owl in the scene in which he's talking about Christopher Columbus. Um, but then that end scene in Fun and Fancy Free where the 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 roof is lifted off the house was just super impressive for 1947. I mean, like even when Jiminy looks into the house from the outside, the entire outer uh, facade of the house was drawn. And then they like keyed in the window for live action, which was so smart for the time. Uh, and, you know, interacting with the giant, lifting it up, you have roof pieces crumbling down. Yeah, I think that uh, the the best display of that hybrid nature is probably fun and fancy free. So I'm going to go with the package film moving on past So Dear to My Heart, even though I was surprisingly uh, uh, pleased by that film as a whole. So I, I feel like I remember you loving fun and fancy free. Is that accurate? It's like, yeah, I, it's like a um, I love it in like a comfort film sort of sense like we had the vhs of this and it was because of mickey and the beanstalk mm. so um yeah like when when i saw this on here and i'm like oh this is like kyle's 101 dalmatians is <laughs> no. <Nancy> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, okay maybe not at that level but i know that you have a familiarity yeah. with this movie. yeah um yeah so like i don't i mean this guy this, this ventriloquist guy he really reminds me of the nanny from the 101 Dalmatians sing-along 
where <laughs> it's like, why, why are you inviting these kids over to your house to hang out unsupervised? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I, I will say, like, ventriloquy, normally I don't enjoy. I don't find it super funny. But this guy, I think, was pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, and the Charlie the dummy had a line that I actually laughed out loud at when he said, all was misery, misery, misery. And Charlie says, just like the eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. like, yep. Accurate. 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 Um, the, oh, okay. So some things that work for me in fun and fancy free, uh, bongo, I think bongo's like situation, uh, is, is interesting and relatable where he's like, kind of overworked and is really focused on his career and then he goes out into like nature and realizes like the joys of life are are outside i enjoy that a lot but then like after that it kind of like just like falls off a little bit but I, i i like bongo i'm surprised i had never known who bongo was before watching this so it's interesting uh donald was really working for me in this movie and donald does not work for me in most things but in fun and fancy free i found donald pretty funny he was like eating plates at one point yeah uh which i got a kick out of and like that whole scene where like mickey is like slicing beans and like uh (laughs) serving like a little tiny like transparent transparent. (laughs) (laughs) uh i thought that was really extra in a really funny way this is one of the better examples of that trio working very like well together as far yeah. as like yeah. comedy beats goes, especially Donald, like Donald losing his right. mind at the beginning of this and like wanting to go kill the cow <laughs> like a psychopath. <laughs> very yeah. good. It's very good. Um, I, I don't think that I understand the like theme of the movie. And like, I, I get what you're saying, that it was kind of like there is no theme. They might have just gave it like a generic name just because. Yeah. Um, I just but there was like a theme song. I don't know. I guess I don't I just don't get what it was trying to say as a whole. I was expecting a little bit more cohesiveness. Some of these packaged films do have a little bit more cohesiveness to them. Um, but this one I don't think did at all. There was some what felt like forced Mickey heroism in uh Fun and Fancy Free, where like Mickey saves the day. And I get that's how he's positioned most of the time, but I like him in like the 12 days of Christmas ones or the twice upon a Christmas <laughs> one where he's like rude to Pluto and he has to like clean up his own mess. Yeah. I like that. I like my Mickey to have a little spice to it. I think it was also, this is a Mickey of the times. Like this is post great depression Mickey in which people needed something to look at as like a hero because times were so hard. And that was like, what really helped lead Mickey to his fame was that it was this like every day we can relate small, small man hero uh, that he took on that persona. of. Then once the world got a little bit better, he can then start being more of the, you know, messing up here and there and trying to fix his problems. But I think that's where the heroism comes from. So dear to my heart, I feel like has a similar like naming problem and it feels like a bait and switch because the title sequence, there's a lot of like hearts and doilies and like red and pink colors and it's like a scrapbook and the movie's called So Dear to My Heart and they're singing a song about So Dear to My Heart and they're talking about love a lot and I was like, oh, this movie's going to be like some type of like cute quirky love story and like 
ne- that never materializes at all. No. Um, question. If I I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but the show horse had like two slaves. Yes. I don't Yes. I didn't I couldn't tell if they were like slaves or if those were that's just who worked the trains were people of color, right? Like I, I don't right, remember what right. time yeah. frame this because I don't think this movie took place in like the eighteen hundreds. I'm pretty sure this was like present day nineteen or maybe early nineteen uh, hundreds, right? Because they had yeah, like probably the, turn of the century because like the trains mm-hmm. were cool and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I so, mean, I either mean, maybe. way, it threw up a red flag for me, um, maybe, and yeah. it's not on Disney Plus, so I'm like, maybe that that one little moment might be part of the reason. Um, or maybe it's Burl. Maybe just Burl just like commands such his estate commands such royalties that like you just you can't put him on stuff for cheap. Right. Uh, get what you're saying about the hybrid moments not aging well. Um, definitely agree with all of that. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's just I know the hybrid moments are definitely better in fun and fancy free. I just don't think there's enough of them is the thing. And like, I don't necessarily like so dear to my heart, but when I'm watching it, I truly feel like I'm watching a hybrid in that there's live action and animation. And like for me in my brain, when I think of hybrid, it doesn't always necessarily have to be like in the same frame. There's animation and live action. Uh, it can be kind of like a combination of, of the two for me at least. So I think so dear to my heart accomplishes a little bit more on that front. So I'm going with so dear to my heart, which means Chels, your first mouse madness tie. It's very interesting because I really wasn't sure what my thoughts were on both of them. So I was really curious to see what you guys had to say um, to kind of help formulate. And like, I don't know. So when I was watching so dear to my heart, it was reminding me a lot of I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary, but the uh, documentary called Walt Before Mickey. Um, I don't believe it is a Disney film, um, but it's a documentary that was on Netflix for a long time. And it discusses it like showcases what Walt (laughs) Disney's life was as a child um, before. And then it and it grows into how he how how he developed Mickey and how he developed his animation and his studios and then and ultimately the Disney company. So it reminded me a lot of that. And then when I was looking it up, um, Walt had actually said that this movie is especially close to him because um, this is the life that him and his brother grew up with as kids in Missouri. So I was like, oh, okay, so there's the connection. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so I that kind of knowing that kind of heartfelt connection to it helped the movie a little bit more in terms of my like perception of it. Um, and f- fun and fancy free, like I, I I agree with what you're saying, uh, Chris. That that there just wasn't. I don't know. There was too much an- animation and not enough like hybrid. But they're just. I felt like it was the live action aspects in Fun and Fancy Free were just kind of forced. Like it was more. It didn't. It didn't blend really well. Whereas I thought in So Dear My Heart, at least it like the intro was beautiful. And then funny enough, the intro also made me reminded me of one of the other movies that we'll talk about in this bracket um and when they kind of showcased how animation is developed and or was developed in that time frame so i'm because of all of these more heartfelt connections that kind of fit into it after the fact i think i'm gonna go with so dear to my heart 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And upset. <laughs> Big boy Burl moves on. Big boy Burl. So that takes us to our next matchup. It's number four, Pete's Dragon versus number 13, Mary Poppins Returns. What a mismatch. Because <laughs> Pete's yeah. Dragon is such a better movie. Um, <laughs> I, I can't remember if I've ever like fully laid into Mary Poppins Returns on this podcast. Um, but I will um, if I haven't. Uh, Mary Poppins Returns not only is one of my least favorite Disney movies I've ever seen, but one of my least favorite <laughs> oh my movies, period, that I have ever seen. And I remember walking out of the theater that holiday season when it came out and just my jaw just kind of like open being like, that could not have gone worse for me. And so I didn't touch it. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not touching this movie again. When Disney Plus came out, I touched it and I was like, still hate it. Uh, and then I watched it again in preparation for this. And I was like, how does this movie, how do I not like this movie so much the first time I see it? And it still gets worse with each viewing. <laughs> uh, there are just so many like <laughs> oh cringe. Tell us how you really feel. That yeah. I'm just like, I can't. They really, really, really awfully screwed up this Mary Poppins reboot thing. And honestly, the movie that I would compare Mary Poppins Returns to the most is Anchorman 2. Never saw uh, it. Where, good, because it was awful. <laughs> and, and, and the problem with Anchorman 2 was like they set it in like the 80s or something. And so the movie was trying to like tell a unique story, make 80s jokes, and make references to the original Anchorman like all at the same time. Mm. And that happened a lot to me and Mary Poppins where it was like, they're trying to tell a new story, but they're also trying to like do some fan service. Like there was so many really, really obvious fan service moments in this movie. Uh, for example, when she walks through the door and she's like, Michael, we are still not a codfish. Like we're supposed to like clap and be like, Oh my God, I remember that line. That was so funny. Good job. The person who wrote this has seen Mary Poppins. So cool. <laughs> I'm just like really, really not into that Good kind of gracious, stuff. Man. When when it when it's that like blatant and obvious like that, it really like takes you out of the movie, you know? So to bring it in like a Disney context, you'd say it's like the Cars 2 of Cars. Sure. Yeah, if that works for you. If you've seen uh, Cars 2. Car yeah, I also saw Cars 2 one time and decided I'm not going to put myself through that ever again. <laughs> uh, so, okay, let's talk about, like, the hybrid, though. Okay, so imagine that. That is, like, our first, like, major hybrid sequence. Yep. And the New Banks kids, bath time, Mary Poppins takes them under the bubbles in the bath, and they sing Imagine That. And this is sort of done not super clean to me, this, this under-the-sea sequence, uh, particularly when the kids get inside the bubbles, is when it starts yeah. looking a little it's goofy. A little wonky. Yeah. Where wonky. they like shot him on a green screen and they were like, hey, Georgie, pretend like you're in a bubble. And he's just like, whoa. <laughs> and, then they, and then they just like, in post, they just like rotate him a little bit to make yeah. it look like he's like floating. Yeah. Uh, and, and the oldest kid, don't know any of these kids' names besides Georgie, because Georgie's the worst. Uh, the oldest kid, he, like his bubble pops and he falls into the ocean. And it's like very, very clearly like a CGI version of the kid. Mm -hmm. They like recreated his body. Right. The water effects, once they like rise to the top of the surface, very, very 
not good for Disney animation standards, mm-hmm. especially when you have Pixar at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after Imagine That, I was like, geez, for a $130 million budget, I think they could have done better with that one. However, the stuff in the China Bowl Gosh, is pretty so, dope. It's so good. It's pretty dope. It's really good. Uh, when they're in the carriage and Georgie puts on like this top hat that is like a 2D yeah. top hat, very cool, looks really good. And I think they did a good job, um, which Christopher Robin, which we will talk about soon, does this as well. Like they kind of dress the set a little bit and do yes. the costumes a little bit, knowing that they're going to have to apply some some CGI on top of it. And especially That's this it. one, like the yes. the practical effects of the entire um, Royal Dalton Music Hall, like that in the China Bowl them wearing those costumes that were designed to look like 2D animation yeah. costumes. So all they really had to do was maybe touch some things up and post, but most of it is just wearable. And it's phenomenal how they did that, which then makes them seamlessly transition into this like animated world. It's just so smart. They did such a good job with that. Uh, then we get to the cover is not the book. Okay. And it looks, it looks great. Looks really cool. Uh, Daddy Lynn. Yeah. We've said See, it once. We'll we, say it a million times. We talked. <laughs> <laughs> that song. Here, Here's my thing. Here's my thing. Big Mary Poppins guy over here. That song was ready to be so good. That was that was ready to be like the song of the movie, even though they wanted to imagine that to be really bad. Like this song would have been that song of the movie for me. And then Lynn had to rap. And Lynn had to rap. Why did they do that to us? And and like you could tell that they wrote it for him. Yes, they said we got Lynn in this movie. All right, rap time. <laughs> like they should have been like Lynn, write write your own thing. Like we'll sign off on it. Like you could tell that it was just very. It was like his style, but not his style at the same time. Sure. Uh, but like removing that from the equation in the song, when he's walking up like the book staircases, uh, that's that's really cool. And mm-hmm. I remember like in the theater that in that moment being like, dude, that like that looks really good. It was like they would turn into practical books right. like as they were coming in. Yeah. Um, and then he like walks across the penguins. They like create a little penguin ladder. And, and there was some good like belly bouncing physics on the penguins when he stepped on them. And then, and then, like as they're leaving the China Bowl, Ge- Georgie gets taken <laughs> by some wolf guys, um, yeah. and that sequence is insane. Like it is really action packed. It kind of gives me motion sickness a little bit. Yes. Um, but the animation is very crisp, very clean, very cool, um, and very hybrid. So, hats off to like them for doing better than imagine that. Yes. Eventually. Yeah, so like, even though I really don't like this movie, I have to admit the stuff in the later parts of the movie, the hybrid is is very good, as probably as good as you can get. Sure. Uh, I I have a question about the financials on on Michael Banks' situation. Uh, so he has to pay the mortgage on his family home. Hmm. Uh, and Mr. Banks was an investment banker, mm-hmm. and you're telling me he had not paid for his home. Apparently not. Apparently not. So. <laughs> Michael, as a child, yep. invests two pennies into the bank. 
And in 30 years, those two pennies grow enough to pay off his home. Hell yeah. Now, Dick Van Dyke says some like creative investing or whatever, but like for literally two pennies to grow to like at at least like $90,000 if it was like almost maybe paid off. Was Michael Banks the first ever Bitcoin investor? <laughs> was he getting into like some deep crypto coins? Because that is literally the only thing that you could get that type of return on. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was I, not investing in like Amazon. That's yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I mean, in a world in which a lady flies down on an umbrella, I believe it. Okay. So that is officially Mary Poppins returns <laughs> canon. Michael Banks. First ever Bitcoin investor. His two pennies grew enough for him to buy a house in 30 years. Love to see it. So this movie is going up against Pete's Dragon, which uh, I watched this movie for the first time probably five years ago, six years ago, pre-Disney Plus. Watched it on the internet. Just found it. Watched it. Um, And I remember sitting through it and being like, I don't like this don't really like this not super good and then it was over and i could not stop thinking about (laughs) pete's dragon and how weird it was and how annoying the kid was so annoying (laughs) he's like he really reminds me of like a um early spencer lift the kid from the disney sing-alongs yes yes absolutely grew up so pete's dragon uh was a 10 million dollar budget 40 million dollar gross which I'm pretty sure was like since its debut. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that wasn't like upon initial release. Um, the, I, I, I find the music in this movie to be mostly underrated. There are some duds in there for sure, but you've got uh, the Gogan family, Happiest Home in These Hills, a great villain song. It starts to get a little bit murdery uh, at the end. Like no. They start out with like, oh, we're going to... Uh, let you go fishing, boy. And it was like a little bit like sarcastic. And then it, it turned into like, we're going to eat him. Yes. Uh, we're going to hang him. And <laughs> we're going to pump him full of lead. It's like, uh, 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 this song got less fun. Yeah. So the first like huge hybrid moment comes when Elliot materializes for the first time in the apple orchard. Elliot and Pete munching on some dank Elliot apples, <laughs> which we talked about in our best Disney food bracket. Um, and like, they're, they're kind of like cuddling with each other. Yeah. You know, and like, it looks pretty goofy, but for the time, I think it also could have looked a lot worse. It, it starts to get a little bit dicey when he starts singing the song called Bop, 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 I Love You Too, uh, yes. which is like a duet where Elliot si- or Pete sings and Elliot responds like, burr, 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 burr. and and Pete picks, uh, I, the kid looks like his name's Elliot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I get him messed up all the time. So, so Elliot picks up Pete and he's like cradling him. And yeah. that looks a little dicey. Uh, yeah. You could, you could tell that like someone had a very vivid imagination and they were like, this is going to be the money shot of the movie. Um, and I don't know that it came out looking great. No. But um, all in all, I think the sequence is really fun. Um, Elliot is reflected in the pond water as mm-hmm. they're kind of like walking past it, which I think is a really nice touch. They do a good job like with 
Elliot's shadow as they're like walking around. But like one just weird filmmaking thing, like most of the time when when characters are talking to each other, they do over the shoulder shot reverse shot stuff. So you, you can see kind of like a spatial reference yeah. with this. Like everything is just like a close up of someone's head yep. when they're talking, which is just a little bit jarring and makes me kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, the entire movie makes me very uncomfortable for that reason. Like the way it's <laughs> yes. shot is just so yes. awkward yes. for some reason. So they go into town. Uh, Elliot's like causing a ruckus. Oh, he they, he, there's there's an egg incident, and he materializes behind this alleyway, and the, there, he's behind these crates that have slats in them, mm-hmm. and you can see his body like through the slats. And Elliot starts laughing, and as he's laughing, he kind of like bumps the crates, and they move, which I think is that is a technique that is used and mastered like later on in hybrid animation. But I think for them to like do that so early on with this like technology, I think was impressive so uh we missed a disney turnt boy and that disney turnt boy is lampy the lighthouse keeper yes this dude yes, is chilling yes, yes. at the tavern and he's like in the alley drunk taking a piss or something <laughs> uh and then elliot shows up and lampy's so turnt he thinks elliot is a normal person he's like hey your buddy's he's like your buddy's green <laughs> Uh, and then Lampy finally like realizes that um, Elliot is a dragon and he yeah. runs back into the bar. He's like, I saw a dragon. Yes. And then he runs straight to the bar and grabs like a double shot of vodka and just like, boom, crushes it. And, and then this, then there's a whole number called, I swear I saw a dragon. Yep. And towards the end of the song, Lampy picks up an entire pitcher of beer and runs down the bar and just like pouring it out. They're all dancing on these kegs, and then all the back. kegs, all the kegs explode, <laughs> and and it's just raining beer. We all, have to, it's like we have the to most alcoholic tur- scene in Disney history. <laughs> we have to turn. We have to run back our turn boy bracket. We we messed up. Yeah, Lampy is the turn boy. It was insane. It was insane. Like no one left that bar sober. No, absolutely not. No one left that bar not blacked out. Uh, What a day in Massapequa or Passaquata or whatever this town's called. Uh, So Lampy biked to the bar, which is not a good idea. Uh, And so Lampy's daughter, I think it's his daughter, Helen Reddy. Yeah. They walk walk back to the lighthouse and like Lampy's semi trying to ride the bike. Like this is me. Kyle, I lived on 6'5 El Greco for two years and- we had very good friends on 6-8 Sabado. Oh, man. Mission. And that Lampy was me trying to, <laughs> yeah. like, the question was, I was like, okay, we can bike to the party. Yeah. Or- Not a problem. <laughs> can we get home? So it's like you either have to, like, walk all the way there and then walk all the way back, or you bike there and then walk back. Uh, it's just, I understand Lampy's struggle in this moment. Okay. So done with lampy um hybrid so like after this elliot spends a lot of the movie just like confined to this cave yes which is a little bit unfortunate because elliot is such a main character in this movie um but i think you know the point is that like pete kind of outgrows him i just i think maybe i would have liked to see a little bit more of the two of them interacting when they do he's like invisible elliot uh he comes back kind of in the finale though 
the Elliot breathes some fire on the little minion guy and throws him out of the cave. Mm-hmm. Elliot does this really cool thing because they try to kidnap Pete and Elliot like lifts up Pete from this little sack and then like unties the sack with his tail. It looks really clean and like that might be the best hybrid shot in the movie right there. Wow. Uh, and then uh, Elliot goes up to help them like fix the lighthouse because homeboy is lost at sea and <laughs> they have to light the wick. And so Elliot like breathes fire and I think they do a really cool job kind of like doing like a real fire. Like it looks like a Bunsen burner and then like overlaying <laughs> it with like the Elliot with the right. Elliot flames. So at the end of the day, this movie is decent. It feels like a decom in its structure and that like you have a person coming to a new location where the person has really different values and the location can learn something from the new character, but the new character also goes through some type of growth. In this case, Pete, in this case, Pete learns how to have a family and uh, how to be like a citizen instead of uh, for his kid. <laughs> and like the town and Nora and Lampy, they learn to have a little imagination. All of that being said, this is an easy, easy advance for Pete Dragon for me after everything that I said about Mary Poppins Returns. I hate Pete's Dragon. This movie's boring. This it, is going to be a highly contested can, matchup here. You can, uh, I, I basically can only watch up until Candle on the Water and then I'm done. I'm checked out. I don't care about this movie anymore. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Helen Reddy, Lover, Candle on the Water, beautiful song. Uh, if I could sing, it would probably be my karaoke song. <laughs> I just don't like this movie. I, I enjoy that they attempted to do the hybrid thing maybe slightly different than they had in the past. Um, and when you're talking about like the practical effects mixed with the animation, especially in the first scene with the um, with the, the town, uh, I think that's really cool. It is very shoddy, which is interesting because another movie of the same era... Bed knobs and broomsticks just six years earlier. Um, there's some scenes in that that felt cleaner than Pete's Dragon as a whole, which is yeah. interesting. And it could be a budget thing. Um, it could be, you know, like the 70s and 80s weren't, especially late 70s, weren't a great time for the company as far as animation goes. So uh, you could chalk it up to just them needing to hit budgets, but it just, you know, I don't really care about the story. This is such a personal thing. Like, I just don't care about Pete's Dragon. So if I don't care about Pete's Dragon, it's going to be hard for me to want to move it along. I just don't find it as much of an enjoyable movie. I get all you're saying about Mary Poppins Returns. I don't think that I'm a, a hater of it like you are. I don't think I dismiss it. I definitely don't seek it out to, like, watch. Um, but I definitely, like, had fun watching it. Um, it didn't make me upset or mad or made me feel like it ruined the Mary Poppins character or ruined the the canon of the Mary Poppins universe, I guess. Um, and I just cannot, like, after leaving that, that film, I could not stop thinking about the China Bowl world and just what an incredible job they did mixing the live action in the animated world, especially coming off of um, Imagine That, which you're completely right. That's supposed to be the first big number. 
and you get into it and you're like, oh no. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> These effects. Oh no. <laughs> I was just sitting in the theater like, uh oh. Not going to enjoy this. But they redeemed themselves once they got into the China Bowl, which is great because it's similar to the original Mary Poppins in which like a lot of the most memorable parts are when they jump into the paintings on the ground. And I, I liked that, uh, that kind of through line, that connection there. Um, yeah, I don't think Mary Poppins returns is a super strong hybrid film, but like, I just don't like Pete's dragon and I already know what Charles is going to do. So I'm going to go ahead and move on Mary Poppins. So Charles, go ahead, make, make it happen. Do, do what you got to do. Honestly, I am torn. I am super <laughs> torn because so I I love Mary Poffins Returns. Oh, no. And I wasn't expecting to like Pete's Drag as much as I did. Oh. So the here's so here's the thing. So again, I agree with you with Mary Poppins, the first number, the underwater scene it's even so i was watching i this was the second time that i watched it i think when i was watching it for this podcast and i saw it with my boyfriend and even he was like but this this was made recently within recent years wasn't it like why why is the underwater so bad and i'm like okay well and so it yes i'm like yes it was bad and it was like instead of one of the effects that i thought was funny and especially when we're talking about like the live action and animation hybrid is that when they were underwater, it didn't look, their hair didn't look like it was flowing underwater. You could tell they were just being blown by a fan. Like it just, it, the hair, your hair didn't flow at all. And like, I think that's a, one of the first telltale signs is that even if with the, sh the shoddy animation and underwater and the bubbles and all of the stuff that you guys touched on, if the, the elements of their clothing and of their hair flowed like it would in underwater, then I think it could have potentially saved it, but it didn't even do that because it, it you really did look like, it looks like they were flying through the air, not swimming underwater. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that was really big and especially unfortunate as their big first number, it's like their first impression and they kind of like shot it. So then of course, when you're going into um, covers, not the book, which I loved that number and loved that song, that it you were going into it with such a critical eye because you were like, well, this, the you know, um, imagine that was underperformed. So hmm. I don't know, like with Mary Poppins, the great things that I loved was, uh, like you guys touched on, was the costumes um, when they're in the bowl. It was, I loved the attention to detail, how the costumes themselves looked like they were animated. So then it really blended the hybrid of the, um, the live action and animation like it really did kind of bring it to life or not life at, at the same time like it really did kind of blend the two together um, and I think that it helped audiences believe that of this imaginative world um, mm -hmm. that is animated and it made me feel like oh, I could jump into this bowl and I could be animated and interacting so I thought that was really well done especially if we're talking about the hybrid sense of it um, and then the choreography of covers, not the book, like all I kept thinking was, oh my God, like they planned everything to a T. Like they knew yeah. they, it's like they animated it before and then choreographed it so that they could hit every note. And I love the story and I have a huge Emily Blunt bias, like huge bias with her. Jungle, so she, Jungle Cruise is about to be your shit. Let's go. Let's yes. go. Let's go. 
supreme access all the way. But um, so, yeah, so like that makes it really, really difficult for me because of all of these small things. And I also didn't go into Mary Poppins Returns expecting it to be a reboot remake of the first Mary Poppins. I went into it thinking this is an extension of the story. Sure. And with Pete's Dragon, you know, the first first five minutes, I was like, oh, God, this movie. But then the song started and I was I kind of loved every song in that movie. And I'm surprised I did. But they were so catchy to me, at least. And um, and I felt like you had you, you had people you were rooting for, the people you didn't. I do agree that Pete was annoying. Um, and I don't like that if you're going to have a hybrid of animation and live action, why couldn't the dragon talk? Like, why was hmm. he mumbling? Because, like, the whole, I would think, a whole advantage to having an animated dragon is that the dragon should then be able to talk. Like, if you're mm -hmm. going to have a CGI dragon, the idea is that you want the dragon to be as lifelike as possible so that it, so you're not stepping into this animated space. You're actually trying to believe that a dragon could be interacting with this human, a real-life dragon. So then you wouldn't necessarily want it to talk because you wouldn't think dragons would talk in real life. But animated dragons talk all the time. So, yeah. you know, in this imaginative place that we live in. So I thought that was interesting and I would have liked for the dragon to talk, um, especially because I didn't think that the animation did a well enough job or good enough job. Oh, my gosh. English is a challenge today. <laughs> but um, of kind of using the body language and the facial expressions to really sell what the dragon was trying to say. So like mm. when you have a character that's not talking, then you really need to he rely heavy on body language and their facial expressions to really ex to, to get across the thoughts that they're trying to say versus just <laughs> it doing something and then the live action character going, what, you want me to do this? Like just repeating <laughs> what it's supposed to be yeah. saying. Yes, yes. Um. So... This is where I'm torn because like, I'm literally, I don't know which way to go <sighs> because, okay, I, this is where we're going to have to come down to like in terms of hybrid animation, I think, and, oh gosh, okay, so because we're going to have Mary Poppins moving, we had it moving forward. Oh my god, I see the tension in both of your faces and it's killing me because I don't I honestly don't know which one to choose. Like I'm gonna have to flip you, a you coin. almost did it. You almost did it. You were like halfway th through the sentence. <laughs> okay. I'm going to choose despite everything that's been said and all of that stuff, I I'm going to move Pete's Dragon forward. Oh, she was so close. <laughs> oh, she so wanted double poppins on the bracket. I know it. Let's go. Uh, you done, you're done good, buddy boy. Oh, um, man. All right. That so Pete's Dragon moves on. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about this next matchup. It is number three, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. First, Babes in Toyland. Uh, if you want to hear about Babes in Toyland, go listen to our Christmas episode. We talked all about it. I don't really feel like talking about Babes in Toyland anymore. I'm uh, good. The, the I'm animation good. portion of this is that there's a stop motion... Uh, scene very long stop motion scene uh, that is a big battle scene between the toys and the toy uh, and the and the bad guy which was like one of my favorite bad guys he was great um, bed knobs and broomsticks I'd never seen it this is the first time I watched it it was really? for this bracket wow. 
I had no idea it was about witches or any of that <laughs> stuff. I actually didn't know what it was about, but I definitely <laughs> didn't know it was about witches. Um, you get the goat Angela Lansbury, our Disney queen. She's in it. You get the the actor that's Mr. Banks and Mary Poppins. He's back. He's this kind of like, not necessarily like a fraud, but he's sem- semi-fraud. Uh, he's, yeah, he's a fraud. He's, he's like a, yeah, he's a, a, a street performer that has been scamming Angela and Lansbury out of uh, money for this witch university type deal. And, um, and he closes it before she gets her final lesson. And she's actually a witch. Like she can actually do magic. She just needs to complete her her training and that's what the movie is they're going on this journey to to get this last spell so she can uh finally finish her training and then it turns out that she needs to use this spell in order to defeat the nazis <laughs> <laughs> what a twist right oh, like twist. i did not see it going well like i knew it was going there because it was in the titles the opening yes. titles i was like well that's what that's they mentioned they mentioned the but, war a lot yeah. at the beginning of the movie, um, but for them to essentially say that England defeated Nazi Germany <laughs> through the use of witchcraft and enchanted knight's armor is not something I had on the bingo card for bed knobs and broomsticks. Like that, I laughed so hard <laughs> when I saw the Nazis show up because I was like, I know what's about to happen. And it's going to be so weird. So interestingly enough about bed knobs and broomsticks is that the underwater sequence was planned for Mary Poppins and they ended up not doing it. And that's why in Mary Poppins Returns, they have an underwater sequence to kind of make up for the fact like, you know, the Shermans wanted that bed knobs and broomsticks song in Mary Poppins. It's such a it is such a Mary Poppins song like. All of them sound like it because it's all, you know, the Sherman brothers um, who wrote them. But the specifically the um, uh, Under the Briny Sea, is that what it's called? Um, Yes. That was for sure for Mary Poppins. And you can definitely tell just the way it's written that it would have fit in well there. And that's the big animated sequence is they go underwater on this bed as they're escaping this like book's seller shop who's who's trying to keep the magic spells and they escape under the water and they they go to this like underwater ball they're singing uh they're swimming around very interesting use of effects in this so mr brown who is the the fake magician guy doc brown doc Doc Brown. brown professor brown um is swimming along with miss price angela lansbury and they're doing this kind of like ballroom dance thing while swimming and they paid a lot of attention to the detail of how they moved around the water and added bubbles as needed. Yes. So if yep. they kicked, there was like an acceleration of bubbles. As they landed on the, the bottom of the, the sea floor, bubbles came up around them. I thought that was great because they definitely didn't need to. And we would have probably believed they were underwater. But that was a pleasant surprise. There's fish everywhere. The fish are playing instruments. They're all animated and our characters are interacting with them under the water. And then we go to Nabumbu and we are watching. (laughs) Is that what it's called? Nabumbum? Nabumbu is the the place. I'm not going to say that right ever. Uh, It is the island in which all of these animals live. And it's in the book that our little boy 
who I want to say is Charlie, but it doesn't really matter. I think Paul. I, I think his name is Paul or Paul? P or something. Paul. Oh, gosh. Uh, there's Paul? a little boy in this, and he he has a book uh, about Nabumbu, which is this island of like animals. And to escape, they go to it, and we watch the world's longest soccer match uh, in an animated film. I which, got up and made breakfast during that. It's so bad. It's obviously a lot of characters from other films that they just kind of repurposed. A lot of Robin Hood characters that they just repurposed yes. for yes. this scene. Um, and essentially they play the soccer match so that Professor Brown can get to the necklace and the ne- that the lion is wearing. And the lion's wearing a necklace that has the final words of the final spell on it. And so he essentially wants to meet him and and the lion turns out to be a big soccer fan and apparently mr brown played for manchester united and and tottenham (laughs) and so he refs this soccer match and it is painful it is the animation isn't all that great um the interaction between mr brown and the animated characters aren't great he gets trampled like four or five times it's the same sequence over and over again and you just really want it to end and it feels like it just never does. Um, finally, they get off of that island and they turn the knob of the of the bed and they get out of there. And that's basically the end of our animated journey in this movie um, because then it's just special effects of Knight's Armor uh, coming to life. I mean, life is, that an, is that kind of animation? I, like, I mean, I don't... I, it's, it's puppetry, really, is what yeah, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think almost some of them, I think, were like keyed out almost green screen technology. I like think I think so, some yeah. some of the the suits that were walking uh, that didn't have to like swivel heads or like, you know, separate their their pieces of armor were just people marching that they keyed out um, because you can kind of tell it looks like a human form um, and it and unless they're just so sophisticated in their puppetry, which would be dope. When I was talking about the impressiveness of some of the animation pieces in Bedknobs and Broomsticks when we were talking about Pete's Dragon was the underwater uh, scene in which they're dancing. And when they win the like dance battle, Angela Lansbury holds a trophy and she kind of like turns to like show the crowd. And the entire time I was like, this is going to look weird. When she turns, it's going to like jolt through her hand or like, you know, it's going to move. Nah. It was like yeah. pretty clean. And then also yep. the perspective moved like with her. Like it didn't jolt the perspective, which is so easy to do in these kind of things when you have uh, a live action character with the animated. Like it's great. And then also the bear on Nabumbu lifting up Professor Brown. Seamless. <laughs> like it, yeah. he was obviously like strung up, but the way that the bear's hands stayed on his jacket and didn't like shift around. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good uh, compared sure. to like Pete's Dragon in which like anytime Elliot's interacting or yeah, Elliot's interacting with Pete, there's this like kind of jumpiness to it. Um, so I thought it, it did very well. But there are just so many dead points in this movie. And that's what sucks. Babes in Toyland. I mean, <laughs> we've talked about it and the practical effects. Great. The the comedy is great. Ton of problematic stuff in it. Um, and then that fight scene is also 
you know, arguably too long. And the story is a little bit disjointed once you get there. It's almost two stories split into in half and put into one film. But that stop motion is just really impressive. And the way that they were able to like shrink people down and then put them into these massive sets, but then also use stop motion around them in these massive sets is just really impressive. Um, it's, you know, but neither of these movies I necessarily want to watch again. So the enjoyability factors are meh for me. Um, but if I were to have to, uh, I'd probably just go with Babes in Toyland. So I'm going to go with the upset. I think the stop motion is done very well. Um, and that's the animation here. Uh, the, the hybridness is there. It's great. Um, and the story keeps me a little bit more engaged especially after or especially once they get to the toy shop as opposed to bed knobs and broomstick which once they get to the market place in the middle of the film it's hard to not check out because every scene every new place they go to we're there for like 30 minutes <laughs> it feels <laughs> like it's so long so uh yeah i think that babes in toyland is the the better hybrid movie so uh, I can't remember if we did like fun facts on that Babes in Toyland sequence. Uh, that took six months to animate that sequence alone. And who, I can't remember who did it. It was like Gracie and Atencio or something. Yeah, it was the practical Imagineers. Yeah. So some like legends in that moment. I have a couple fun facts that I dug up from Babes in Toyland. Uh the Babes in Toyland sets were on display at Disneyland from November 1961 through 1962 as they walked through attraction. So uh, lately we've been talking about bad attractions and old attractions. <laughs> and I guess there was a Babes in Toyland uh, experience at Disneyland, which is pretty cool. Ward Kimball was originally going to direct Babes in Toyland, but I guess he had like a really bad falling out with Walt. Uh, uh -huh. during the production of this movie because he Ward Kimball went over Walt's head to audition Ray Bolger. And like, I guess he also approved some set designs and stuff. So, um, so it's, Ward Kimball got fired. It's probably because <laughs> he didn't give his, uh, his train station back. To I Disneyland. mean, maybe that, maybe <laughs> that too. <laughs> Bed knobs and broomsticks, I think is, uh, kind of a fun movie. Actually. I got a, I got a solid kick out of it, particularly with that, with that finale, I mean, it, that ending lives perfectly in that middle of that Venn diagram we look for where it's like not taking itself too seriously, but <laughs> yeah. still pretty good. And it's like really goofy, but not laying it on thick. Uh, so I really like that aspect of it. I was getting some Game of Thrones uh, like flashbacks, honestly, during that sequence because uh, the Night King controls his army of the dead and the strategy is you kill the Night King, you kill the whole army of the dead. Uh, and apparently the Nazis have never seen Game of Thrones because they should have just gone after Eglantine like from the beginning. Yeah. Interesting uh, for Disney history for Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Uh, last movie, Roy Disney was alive. Four and the last movie to win an Academy Award until The Little Mermaid in 1989. Well, so it was like almost 20 years. This this movie, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, was like truly the end of the golden age of Disney. Right. Um, and it wasn't until the Renaissance where they started taking off again. 
Question on the beautiful briny sea. Who do we think was supposed to sing that song in Mary Poppins? Do you think that was going to be a Mary thing? Or like, it seems like it could be a Bert number. Yeah, I, it would probably be Bert, right? I can see Bert saying something like beautiful briny sea. He's the he's the rhymer. He's the alliteration guy. Right. Um, yeah, it's got to be a Bert song. Uh, like you said, I like the trophy. I don't know why they call it soccer. Uh, because it's, they're in England. So football is the correct terminology. Right. Guess they don't care. Uh, cosmic creepus. Uh, I mean, we talked about missing best Disney turn boys. Talk about best <laughs> Disney cats. Uh, uh raggedy cat. Cosmic creepus. So mangy. Yeah. So mangy. And, in, and he has those great, like judging cat eyes. Little territorial. Mm-hmm. Little feisty. Absolutely love Cosmic Creepus. End of the day, uh, I get what you're saying about the animation sequence in Babes of Toyland probably being more sophisticated and better than anything in Bedknobs and Broomstick. But I think Bedknobs and Broomsticks is a better movie as a whole. I like that the animation, the hybrid stuff does serve an important plot point in the story. Like they have to go there to help them solve the mystery. Um, so I'm going B and B, which means Chelsea's breaking the tie here. Well... I was expecting more. So I hadn't seen Bedknobs and Brood 6 before. And funny enough, every time I see this uh, movie poster, I always think of Bedtime Stories with Adam Sandler. And I loved that movie. So then I'm sitting here like subconsciously thinking like, okay, I'm going to start this Bedknobs and Brood 6. It's going to be, I mean, the two are not related whatsoever. But like in my head, they were. So then I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this is so not the same thing. (laughs) And it, I, Bedknobs and Brooks was a difficult watch for me just because it it there were so many dead points and like it it was so it was too long in my yes. opinion. Um, there were so many parts they could have just cut uh, just to keep the action up and I feel like it just took too long to get the story going. Um, and then like like you said like the the little cultural differences of of where you can't really connect with them being you know with the story being set in England because they're not using yeah, terminology sure. that they yeah. would normally use and that was probably like a production aspect of the time um, whereas now like I think a lot of production companies and and studios take more thought into that uh, put more thought into that but so I'm going to go with. Uh, babes in Toyland because I'm looking to upset a little bit here and I just really didn't like Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. I just didn't like it. The upset. Honestly, I never thought we would see Babes in Toyland ever again advance (laughs) on any bracket we'd ever put together, but here we are. Babes in Toyland will advance with the upset past Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. What's up, everybody? It is Kyle here. You're probably looking at your timestamp and you're like, what we've only gotten through half of the round of 16 and it's already been an hour and a half yeah i mean we we hadn't seen a lot of these movies so there was a lot of context to be given and we went a little overboard so what we're going to do is we are going to stop this episode right here part one point one is is done uh on this upcoming thursday july 15th 2021 Part 1.2 will come out and we will finish up the back half of this round of 16. And we actually made this decision in our Discord group. Uh, I went to them and I said, hey, 
This episode part one is like almost three hours long. Would you rather me just release it as one massive episode or would you rather me split it up and, and we can release it the other half later in the week and the discord came back and they have spoken and they said split this thing up for us. So Thursday, July 15th, part 1.2 will be coming out. And if you want to get in on the inside of the production of these episodes, if you want to make some of the decisions just like that, hit us up in our discord, everything, socials, discord, email, all linked here in this episode right below. So thank you so much for listening to this one. We really, really appreciate it. And we look forward to getting back at it to finish up the round of 16 on this upcoming Thursday. Have a great first half of your week. We'll see you very soon.